Today's message is entitled, Blessed Are the Meek. A little history lesson for you. In the 1990s, a popular fad took the country by storm. From youth to adults, athletes to politicians, they all joined this movement and began wearing something very common. Do you know what it was? It was a certain bracelet. came in a few different colors. The bracelets had four initials on them. Does anybody know what those four letters were? Oh, I see. Way to go, Greg. <laughs> I didn't put that in the notes. I didn't realize we were playing Jeopardy. <laughs> He's on your team, huh? Okay. okay. One to nothing. Okay. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Did you know that this fad was started by a female youth leader in Holland, Michigan? It was based on a favorite, a favorite book of the family that was written actually in 1896. Um, it, it was called In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? So the family thought about it for a long time when this youth leader was thinking, how can I get my kids involved? How can I get them to, to take Jesus into their daily lives? How can I get them to share that with others? They settled on a bracelet instead of a t-shirt because at the time there was another type of bracelet that was being made. Does anybody know? It was, it was the, uh, the, the, the different strings that they wired together on the bracelets. You know what I'm talking about? Different colored for the friendship bracelets? Okay, just checking. Just checking. <laughs> yeah, so that all right, all right, so the so so the friendship bracelet they, they thought, you know what, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna go gonna go on that fad, we're gonna use a bracelet. Um with the hope that it would prompt kids to help help them to make good decisions by, by quickly seeing it and saying, What would Jesus do? Because it was modeled after the one who taught us how to live. At its inception, a couple hundred bracelets were given out for free to this youth group to use. They gave, they gave them two bracelets for free. Here's one for yourself. Find someone that asks about it, and you can give them the bracelet. Um, but then parents started asking about it, uncles and aunts and other people. And by 1997, 20,000 bracelets a week were being made. Paul Harvey mentioned the bracelets every day straight for a week. The popularity exploded. Over 15 million were sold. But did it really work? For a while, it was a creative way to declare that one was a Christian in public, unashamed of following Jesus. I wore one for a couple years. It was red and with white letters. And I wore it while I taught in public schools. It was invigorating to be part of this movement that brought Christian evangelism out into the public daily and, and into discussion with others. And eventually, the craze died down, although bracelets can still be seen and spotted here or there. But the question is, did it work? Has there been lasting change in changing the way that people react and act in certain situations? Certainly it positively affected many for a time when they were reminded of Jesus. And it's hard to gauge whether people were more motivated by the teachings of Jesus or by the fear that, oh, others know I'm a Christian now, so I better be careful how I act in front of others. It was hard to know that. So the question remains, do most self-proclaiming Christians really want to be more like Jesus? 
How about you? Does your life reflect every day and in every way that in, in, and in most and in most challenging situations that you truly want to act and react like Jesus? But before you answer, let me tell you biblically what it means to be like Jesus. Because even though the bracelets were popular in society, the truth is that living nowadays and responding like Jesus nowadays goes against the grain of public discourse. Desiring to act intentionally and to respond consistently like Jesus will not make you popular. It will not make you well-liked in many circles today. Knowing this, if you still declare that your greatest desire is to become more like Jesus each and every day and in each and every way, then Jesus gives us a great place to start. comes to our verse for the day, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But before we rush to the rest of the Beatitudes, as if we are reading a poem, Let's stop and consider what Jesus is attempting to convey to us right here. Blessed are the meek. What does it mean to be meek? Do we truly know? Or do we just consider it to be, it must be a good godly quality, must be something nice, so let's just move on from here. Well, meekness is a word that's not used very often today. And as we study it here, you will agree that it's hard to find this quality in many people today, even though God expects every one of us who follow him um, to walk in meekness. Contrary to popular belief, meekness does not mean quiet and peaceful and mild-mannered. Rather, it can be more aptly described as great strength under perfect control. In other words, refusing to use your physical strength or your emotional arguments or your strong words or your persuasive logic or your overconfidence to obtain what you desire. Yet the truth is that our sinful nature demands that we use our might to acquire things in this world. Therefore, meekness is refusing to allow our sinful nature to lead us in any way. What does it look like? I'm going to tell you, give you a few aspects of meekness. First of all, meekness can be defined as one who is not easily provoked to anger. But this is not something that you can just tell yourself that you're going to do. Being provoked means that the enemy is working through someone else to get your goat, to push your buttons, to rub it in to kick you when you're down. The only way to prepare for the right response when you're being provoked is to receive a revelation of truth from God directly into your spirit. Psalm 23, verse 1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when we get to the place where we can say and we truly believe that because we have Jesus in our lives, we have no need of anything else. Sure, it's the Christian thing to say that, but to really mean it. I have Jesus, I have no need of anything else. To live this way, to mean it in all that we do, is impossible to reach on our own. 
It's not until God brings you through a trial where the greatest thing you need in that trial is His assurance that He will never leave you. That He will be with you all the way. It's not until that happens that you understand that He is your constant strength and your rock and your Redeemer. When you come to the place where you truly have no need of anything else to make you happy, you realize that the world cannot take anything eternal away from you. You may be disappointed, but it doesn't move the rock on which you stand. You may be hurt, but it doesn't change that God is still sovereign. He's still living in your heart. Thus, you may experience loss and challenges or even confusion, but it doesn't provoke you to use your anger to get back or to acquire something that you want. You know that God will take care of you when you fully trust in His Word and His power and His grace. Well, the second aspect of meekness is one who patiently bears injustice and puts up with hurts and offenses. If meekness is strength under control, it means that we don't fight back in ungodly ways. We don't slander others. We don't blame them. We don't complain about them and use our words or even our thoughts in violent ways to overcome. We actually understand that this is the life of a Christian to respond in meekness. Jesus even said that we would be hated by many and yet we're so surprised when people are treat us poorly. But He also said this to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rather than us get offended that someone speaks against us and try to fight back and complain and slander them, God says, just take it. I already told you it's coming. And when you take it, know that you're blessed right now when it happens. Jesus tells us to expect to be treated poorly. Expect to be slandered. To be spoken against and falsely accused. But also know that when it happens, that you are blessed. Because God says so. How can this be? We can't just say, Oh, I don't feel blessed when I'm facing persecution. Or I don't feel blessed when someone's treating me poorly or when someone's speaking against me. We have to not rely on our feelings. We have to rely on what God's Word said about, says about us. We have to know that we are blessed because Jesus declares it. Therefore, He tells us how to respond. And unless you are close to God, you wouldn't know this. But by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can respond this way. Matthew 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, when we lash out in slander, it's like we want to get a reward right here on earth. We want to get the reputation and the feel-goods and the warm fuzzies back here on earth. But God says, that's okay. Your great reward is in heaven. When you respond in meekness, I'm storing up that reward for you in heaven. What a revelation this is. Our reward in heaven, listen to this, 
Our reward in heaven grows every time we respond in meekness, refusing to be provoked, choosing to bear injustice, and trusting God instead of our own thoughts to get even or to secure justice for us. Well, a third example of meekness is how we view others in comparison to ourselves. One who is meek has a humble and reserved opinion of themselves, but also believes the best about others. Without meekness, when we are wounded or offended by others, we are so uncomfortable in our rejection and in our pain that we harshly blame others and believe the worst about their motivations, about why they did this to us. In other words, we use our emotional or our verbal might to push someone down, believing that if we push them down, it will make us go higher and feel better because we're above them, so that we don't feel so defeated. That's what our sinful nature does. I'm not saying we do it, but our nature wants to do that. Our nature does not want us to respond in meekness, because meekness brings us closer to God. So whether you thought that or you blew it on occasion and you reacted that way, that's what our sinful nature does when we're hurt by others. We may complain about this person to others or simply focus our thoughts and energy on this person in a negative way. Still sin. Don't think just because you didn't say it, it's not a sin. Right? God lives in your heart. He knows what's there even before it comes out of your mouth. Yet God gives us instruction on how to overcome this tempting way to respond. Romans 12, verse 3. says, For I say through the grace that was given to me, to everyone who was among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, the only way that we can respond to adversity and to injustice and to offense in a humble way is to always keep in mind that grace has been given to us. You see, God could have judged us for our sins. Any of our sins. He could have judged us for our sins that we've already committed. He said, that's it. Time's up. You're being judged. But He didn't. Instead, by His grace, which we can't earn, we don't deserve, we just receive, but by His grace, He forgave us. He didn't need to. He didn't have to. We didn't deserve it, but He chose to redeem us anyway. Therefore, the proper perspective with the measure of faith with which we've been given is not to compare ourselves to others, but to compare ourselves to Jesus. This paradigm shift keeps us from thinking that we are competing against others or that we need to punish others to make us feel better. We're all at the same level at the cross. We're all at His feet. By His grace, we come to understand that when we are hurt or rejected, we do not lose our place in Christ. We are still securely in His arms, and our eternity cannot be taken away. Therefore, a humble and honest assessment of ourselves keeps us more focused on God's grace towards us in our weakness instead of trying to one-up someone else. The fourth aspect of meekness 
does not envy the gifts and graces of others. Do you realize that when we step into envy of how others are being blessed when we're not, or how others have more talents in some areas where we don't, or how others have received grace in their lives, what we're actually doing is judging God. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says this, God is able, He's the one, to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. What does that tell us? It tells us that God is the one who allows grace to come into one's life. For He is the dispenser of grace. God knows exactly what each one of us needs to come into a saving relationship with Him. Many times we feel like we're not successful, we didn't get this job, or we don't have this relationship, and someone else does. And yet God, the whole goal is not to be happy here. Sometimes it happens. The whole goal is to get all of us to heaven. So God knows exactly what it takes, because He knows us and created us. He knows what exactly what it takes in each of our lives to give us the, the ingredients, that, that recipe that will bring us to eternity with Him. And we, we get so upset about what's going on down here. And God says, i got your best interest in mind. Just trust me. He knows what each one of us needs to manifest Christ in our lives and to come into alignment with His will. By His perfect wisdom, He brings victory to some. To others, He brings great trials. To others, He brings injustice and challenging situations. And in every case, God dispenses the perfect amount of grace to cause us to turn to Him if we desire. He knows the exact plan needed in every one of our lives to bring us to Him if we are open to seeking Him. Therefore, when we envy others or complain that we don't have what others have, we are actually complaining about God's plan for our lives. Do you honestly think that you have it harder than some of the men and women in the Bible where God used great injustice and trials and tragedy to lead them to a higher place in Him? God used tragedy after tragedy to strip Job of all of his earthly belongings, including all his children. To bring Job to a place of declaring victory over the devil himself and praising God through it all. Job also brought a child by the Holy Spirit into the womb of Mary, a young virgin girl who was not married at the time. Knowing that she would be ridiculed and her life threatened because no one may have believed her. And then God caused her great pain witnessing all that her son Jesus went through on the cross. Yet this was done to bring about the greatest gift to mankind all because of Mary's meekness and obedience to God's will. So if you read the Gospel stories that said that Mary didn't understand it, but she just treasured those things in her heart. We're not always going to understand what happens to us or the trials that we have to face, but we have to choose like Mary just to treasure those things in our heart. That's meekness. God also called Paul to suffer like few others for the opportunity to bear the name of Christ to the world. In fact, when you think of what God might speak about you, can you imagine that this, what God, what God spoke about Paul? 
Acts 9.16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow, that's quite a calling, isn't it? Paul was beaten many times. He was tortured. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. And eventually killed for his declaration of Jesus Christ as his Redeemer and Savior and Lord. And yet with each persecution against him, Paul declared the truth even louder. And he did so with joy. They couldn't stop him talking about Jesus. It is by meekness that Paul continued to deny his flesh's desire to complain. And instead, he drew grace from the heart of God to continue down the path he was called to share Jesus with the world. Well, the fifth aspect of meekness I want to share is that one who walks in meekness is willing to be instructed and admonished. If you're meek, you are teachable. One who is meek is not quick to argue back and become defensive. Fully understanding and accepting the need to daily be changed and molded by God like clay in a potter's hand. One who is meek does not go before a holy and perfect God and expect to be praised. Good job, Brad. You did a good job today. I should not expect that, and I don't. If I'm meek, I'm going to expect something different because I'm going before a holy God. A humble soul goes before a king expecting something different. I love this verse in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk was a prophet who heard from God and spoke the words of God. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the ramparts and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will say when I am corrected. Habakkuk was a prophet of God. Yet he didn't let his pride push him to a place to expect that God would merely laud him or thank him or tell him how good he was. Habakkuk declared that he would wait to see how he would answer when he was corrected by God. He fully understood his place before the king. Do we? Meekness allows us to expect correction, to look forward to instruction, to know that we will be admonished so that our lives will continually line up with God's will. Fully expecting God to teach us and mold us into His vision for our lives enables us to trust God with whatever way He sees fit for His purpose for us in this earth. Meekness is not just a moral virtue that we can manifest on our own, but rather it's a Christian grace that we receive when we're open to receive from God. It's an expression of the Spirit of God in our lives, which was clearly evident in Christ on the earth. Think about it when He was being beat and tortured. He even said, I could call down a legion of angels right now, but He didn't. He had all the strength He could have at once knocked everyone down. He could have got off the cross. Like they even told Him, if you're Christ, if you're the Messiah, take yourself off the cross. He could have avoided all the pain, but He didn't. Because of meekness. It was great strength under perfect control. Meekness is a necessary channel for all believers. It is a great advantage to use for all of us as we follow Christ. Because we're going to face hardship. 
We're going to face injustice, if we haven't already. We're going to face false accusations, but it's the meekness that shows that Christ lives in us and that we shine as lights into this world. It enhances our hearing and receiving of the Word so that it does not become tainted with our opinions or our feelings. Meekness enables us to gracefully give an account of the reason for the hope that we have, but we do so by speaking the truth in love. It allows us to instruct and restore those who have backslidden, either in principle or in practice, but to do so without judgment or wrong motivations. Remembering that meekness is strength under control, we don't use shame or spiritual manipulation, but in all things we commend others to trust Jesus. That Jesus is the one that brings about change in other people's lives when they willingly come to Him. We trust that the Holy Spirit is able to make changes in each person as He sees fit in accordance with their willingness to submit to Him. With this understanding, we don't use our words or our actions or our decisions to try to force people to change. Our goal is to bring them to Christ and Christ does the changing. We lead them into the presence of God where God alone forgives and restores and heals and convicts and changes and redeems for His purpose. Matthew 5, 5 again. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. If we are solely content in God, and have no need of anything else, then why is that reward to inherit the earth? What Jesus is referring to is not this world, at least not in its present situation. For this world as we know now is not our inheritance. Yet those who have not received the revelation of meekness who have not walked in its humble awareness and responded in its graces, do not understand that our calling is not to go after and not to get for ourselves, but our calling is just to receive. Our calling is to inherit what God has planned for us. Without meekness, too many people, even self-proclaimed Christians, believe that their mission in life is to achieve and to obtain and to conquer and to gain more and to succeed by their own hand and by their efforts and by their plans and by their logic. Yet clearly, Jesus instructs us to stay humble and to trust Him. Clearly, He instructs us to rely on our faith in our God. Not, not rely on the might of our hand or the logic of our brains. And when we keep our strength in control, and allow God to lead us however He sees fit, we simply receive and inherit what God has already secured for those who faithfully follow Him. He promises us the new earth after this one is passed and gone, which it will be one day. We will inherit it by virtue of being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ through meekness. God describes what we will clearly inherit. Revelations 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. All things. And He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Do you thirst today? Do you thirst for that promise of God? Because if you do, it takes meekness to inherit. Verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be as God, and He shall be my son, my child. Through meekness, we inherit and freely receive the wonders of God and the promise of forever being in His family and in His love. Listen, I don't know what you've been striving for, what you've been disappointed because you haven't received or whatever's going on, but if we could just step back right now and understand that we have Jesus, we have no need of anything else. Whatever comes is a blessing. But the world can't take away our eternity from us. God has hidden us in His heart and says that no one can snatch you out of My hand. That's all we need. By meekness, let us receive this promise from God. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your promise that You are always with us no matter what we do. We thank You that Your love is unconditional. We thank You that Your grace, your grace is ever-extending. No matter how many times we mess up, we thank You that there's an always an open door to the cross where forgiveness is there. We thank You that You cover us with Your hand. Lord God, as we receive this Word today, we pray, God, it would go into our heart, it would take root, and it would bear fruit, life-changing fruit, in our lives and in the lives of others around us so that we can be your light in this darkness. We love you, God. We thank you for your gifts and your grace. And most of all, we thank you for being part of your family. Bless this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.